Lil gums bleeding. Friday evening, it was all about eating. When I became a teen, it was all about beefing. Now I'm ready for the world. Trying to sink my teeth in. Hey guys, welcome to episode 51 of Food Psych. I'm your host, Christy Harrison, and today we have an amazing guest for you. I bumped up the release date of today's episode, so we still are on a bi-weekly schedule, but I released this one just a week after our last episode because it coincides with the publication date of our guest's new book, and I think it's just amazing. So the guest is Kelsey Miller, and the book is Big Girl, How I Gave Up Dieting and Got a Life. It's such a cool concept, and she is fantastic. She's the writer behind Refinery29's Anti-Diet Project column. So she's been chronicling her transition from, you know, being obsessed with weight loss and going on a million diets over the years to intuitive eating and health at every size practices and learning to incorporate fitness again in a non-disordered way. So it's a really, really cool column and the book builds on that and tells more of her story and gets even deeper. She's just a great, delightful person. So I can't wait to share our interview with you in just a moment. But first, I want to point you to a couple of great resources for helping improve your relationship with food. The first is my free quiz to assess your relationship with food and see how healthy it is. I'll send you your results via email along with more than a dozen personalized, individualized tips to help you make peace with food wherever you might fall on the spectrum right now. Take the quiz and get your results today at christyharrison.com quiz. That's christyharrison.com quiz. The second resource I want to share is my intuitive eating online course. It's a 13-week program that I created to help you work through all the principles of intuitive eating in depth and really demystify and troubleshoot the common areas where people tend to get stuck. I'll show you how to recognize the diet mentality, even in its subtle forms, and how to start substituting healthy thoughts instead. I'll share my secrets to making food and exercise choices from a place of self-care rather than self-control. And I'll teach you how to navigate emotional eating and how to stop alternating between restricting and overeating. And so, so, so much more. Several participants have shared that the course has helped them make peace with their quote off-limits foods already. As one participant put it after trying one of their quote unquote bad foods, I felt free, sweet, sweet freedom. Why was I so afraid of this food? I doubt I'll feel the need to buy another package when this one's gone, but just knowing it's off the bad list tastes and feels like a huge epiphany. What a moment of power. Participants are also having major revelations about how the diet mentality is hanging on in hidden ways. As one participant put it, before doing this module, I really thought I had given up the diet mentality. Now I realize that although I consciously reject dieting, I still have plenty of work to do towards accepting myself as I am. It was great. It really helped me identify what I need to work on by bringing it to my full awareness. And yet another participant shared this beautiful revelation she had in the course. My worth is not my weight or my looks, but my heart, mind, and soul. I need to trade in my self-judgment for self-love and compassion. It feels impossible some days, but I'm going to do my best. I deserve it. If you'd like to join others on this intuitive eating journey and have some beautiful revelations of your own, go to christyharrison.com course to learn more and sign up. That's christyharrison.com course. 
And then finally, if you like the podcast and want to help us reach more people who need to hear the body positive message, you can leave us a great review on iTunes. And I really appreciate people who've left reviews so far. Just open up iTunes on your computer, type in Food Psych to the search bar, click the result that comes up under podcasts, and then go to the ratings and reviews tab. There you can leave a rating and reviews sharing what you love about the podcast. And I'm so, so grateful for these nice reviews because they help bring us up in the ratings and help more people find these positive messages. So without any further ado, let's go talk to Kelsey Miller. I caught up with her via Skype from her home in New York City. So yeah, let's just jump right in. Um, Why don't you tell me about your relationship to food growing up? Well, it's not always a funny story. I would say that as long as I can remember being conscious of having a body and that food impacted that body, I was all too aware of that. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think I wrote this in the book. Like I I look at pictures of myself from when I'm little, little, and I'm just like eating a sandwich, like it ain't no thing. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm like, my God, the, the guts on that kid, you know, (laughs) just like eating a full fat mayonnaise tuna sandwich. Like it's no big deal because I'm letting myself be photographed eating Mm -hmm. something like that is wild to me. I mean, I think, you know, by the age of, I don't know, seven or eight or something like that, I probably would have been far too self-conscious to, you know, let somebody take my picture with a mouthful of sandwich or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's been very fraught for as long as I've been, you know, relatively conscious. And obviously it only got more complicated and more layered as I got older and I picked up more rules and more beliefs and then reinforced them and had other people reinforce them for me and had, you know, the general culture reinforce them for me. Mm -hmm. There was no reason to to believe that I was wrong or that I was misguided or anything that I was doing was, uh, you know, disordered, Mm -hmm. certainly. You know, if anything, I just, I wasn't doing it enough. I wasn't being hard enough on myself. I wasn't obeying the rules as much as I should. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you first start realizing that you had to, or, you know, thinking you had to diet? Hmm. I mean, I think that I was always trying to eat less or eat differently when I was in front of other people, for sure. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think probably, you know, as long as I can remember, so I guess probably around six or seven. And I think, again, that also fostered the behavior of, of eating other things in secret. I think that was around, around that time. But I think dieting, really began like formalized dieting. I had my first like really serious, like one with a name on it or one with a purpose on it when I was uh, 11. Mm -hmm. And I got to audition for uh, a talent agent and they really liked me and they wanted to work with me, but they said I needed to lose about and they wanted me to do it in in two weeks. And I was like, yeah, no problem. No, I'm 11 years old. And like, you know, you're promising me stardom essentially in Mm -hmm. my mind. Of course. And so, you know, that was the first time there was formal sort of guidelines around it. It was basically just sort of a more strict version of what I'd been trying to do, uh, which is just sort of like being on a diet, but cheating on it all the time before Mm -hmm. that. But I was eating basically like lemon yogurt and green beans and things like that. And um, I don't want to say number all. It is, uh, it mm-hmm. is in the book, but I did a lot more than than in two weeks. And I did mm-hmm. it very fast um, because, again, you're a kid and uh, somebody is is making these kind of, you know, promises to you. Right. I would have done anything. And yeah. 
it worked. It made everybody like me more. It made me so noticed and so lovable. And I got so much praise and validation and made my mom so happy. It was like, it was as if that we'd been in this fight for years for my whole life. And all of a sudden the fight was over. Mm. And man, I mean, it was, it was like the promise that every diet makes, like your life will be better if you just do this. Mm-hmm. And it was, and then it wasn't anymore, you know, Yeah. <laughs> it only, it only lasts for so long and then it's over and then everything is so much worse because now you have failure. Mm-hmm. Now you're living in failure. So yeah. that was the first big one. So it was like the shining, everything you had been promised, everything you thought was going to be mm-hmm. the, on the other side of the diet kind of was, but then it all came crashing down. Oh, yeah. It was like, and from that point on, it was like just trying to get back in that bubble. I got to get back in that mm-hmm. that magical bubble, not realizing that, you know, it's it's all made up and, you know, you popped it anyway. There's no getting back in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And that, yeah, it's not sustainable. The whole mm-hmm. point of it is not sustainable. Yeah, exactly. Uh, did your parents like intervene at any point during this and, and say like, hey, your methods are unhealthy or was that not even on their radar? I think, you know, my mom was, you know, trying to help me really, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think that she was trying to make me a disordered eater. Certainly not. I mm-hmm. think that she really thought that she was she was doing the right thing by, you know, washing my cucumber slices and stuff like that and, and making sure that those foods that were always in the house and always available to me. Mm-hmm. And it was a team effort in that way. And I really liked being on the same team in that regard. Yeah. I don't think there was ever any mention of of anything that had to do with weight loss being unhealthy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm sure maybe there was at some point. I did, you know, crazy, stupid things over the years. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, the overall message was whatever you got to do, you know, whatever you right. got to do. Not just like because we want you to be thin, but because we think you will be happy this mm-hmm. way. You know, my my dad never really got involved in this until I was like a teenager, really. Because when mm-hmm. I was a kid, he was just like, oh, you're a sturdy, you're a sturdy kid, you know, mm-hmm. like his side of the family. And like, of course, you're not fat, blah, 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 blah. But then it changed, you know, when I went to boarding school and gained a lot of weight because mm-hmm. it's boarding school and, you know, you're a teenager, lots and lots of reasons. But mm-hmm. at the end of that, I mean, he sat me down on my graduation day and was like, I just want you to be able to have a life. I'm just so, you know. I just like <laughs> to live and have a life and 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 it was just he was so sad and I felt just crushed. You know, he was so worried. I I he was so worried about me. I felt like I'd you know, committed a real actual terrible crime and he was just, you know, sitting by me because he was my father and he loved me. Mm. But he wanted so badly for for me to have a life and there was just no way he could see me having a life at that size. Wow. Yeah, oh, that's a that's a real powerful message. Yeah. And so sad that that is a message that's pervasive, you know, like these very caring, well-meaning people will intervene in someone's life in that way, feeling like they're doing the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. That you're you're giving the person a chance at life when really, unfortunately, like that's not the way to do it. It's not going to help. I know, I know. And and I almost I'm not letting them all off the hook. Mhm. But I think it takes effort to go against that cultural grain Mm -hmm. when everything else in the world is saying, no, of course you can't have a life. I mean, no, you know, here is our, you know, 
biased hiring practices mm-hmm. and legal bias and all these other biases. Um, so of, of course, of course, I think that, you know, a parent probably thought it would be, that things would be harder for me. Mm-hmm. And I think they were harder for me, but not, you know, simply because of my body, but because of the way I thought about my body. Right. Right. That's such a great point. The only reason those things exist that, you know, hiring practices are that so much discrimination exists in our society is fat stigma is like mm-hmm. the internalized bias. So Absolutely. if we can work to dismantle that, it actually helps people get outside of it rather than just buying in and feeling bad about themselves too. Yeah. And that's a challenge even, even for me. I mean, you really have to immerse yourself in it all the mm-hmm. time to constantly reinforce being like, no, 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 you really are right. You're not crazy. You're right. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> and it's really hard to, to be constantly in that mindset when you're walking around all day and, you know, you're existing in everybody else's mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I know. So what did that journey look like then? Like, you gained the weight in high school and that happened on graduation. You know, I think until that point, I was really very, very like average in terms mm-hmm. of weight. When I look at pictures, I'm like, it's absolutely crazy. I know everybody says that, but it's such mm-hmm. a sad, sad, rude awakening to think about how I saw myself then. Yeah. And until I, yeah, when I graduated from high school, I was, you know, I was heavier than I'd ever been. Well, then I went on my sort of second like landmark diet, which was the mm-hmm. one that where I, I lost like, you know, magazine cover weight, as I call it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, that my whole life revolved around it. I didn't really do college because how could I? I had to do this, you know, mm-hmm. I had to take a whole, you know, drawer of my dorm room dresser was like devoted to canned tomatoes and other weird dieting products. Oh, no. I mean, everything revolved around that. And, you know. Obviously, a lot of this had to do with the fact that it was it was much safer for me. It was a lot less, less scary to stay in and like mm-hmm. work on a, you know, measure out cereal and things like that than go out and put myself out there. But I really believed like, you know, I can't do that. I can't do that. I have, you know, I'm only two thirds of the way through. I got to get to the extra third. You know, from there, it never really sort of worked again. I mean, it worked mm-hmm. on dieting worked on a small scale and then it got worse and it was just up and down and up and down. And then finally, I mean, again, and this continued, that sort of hibernation really continued after I graduated from college mm-hmm. and I moved to New York and I started my career. But by by that, me, I, I just thought, you know, about my career the same way I thought about everything else in my life, which is like, you know, okay, you can be an assistant, but you can't really be anything else until mm-hmm. your body looks like this. And that's when your life will start. And it wasn't that, you know, black and white thinking all the time, but I certainly believed it with Mm -hmm. every fiber of my being. I didn't date. I didn't really do anything. I just sort of kept to my very insular group of friends and I didn't branch out and try to make any new ones because that was all I needed. And I just, you know, I had all my cable channels and, uh, you know, (laughs) you know, stay at home and look up the next diet that would fix me and stuff like Mm. that. That was, you know, a very soothing habit and cycle to be in. But then I think I hit that point, which a lot of people do in my sort of mid to late 20s, where I was like, hold the phone. I got to actually make something happen because, you know, I'm no longer considered a kid by any means. Mm-hmm. You know, I started to panic about milestones and I I, I was like, I got to, I got to do something. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in conjunction with my, with a new diet, of course. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> The new diet is like, you know, the great, the great way to like fresh start everything in your life. Right. So I started a new diet. 
I did really well with it at first. I like instantly just sort of sort of aggressively online dating because mm. <laughs> got to do it while while the scales, you know, while the numbers are going down. Right. <laughs> so you're like, here's my new body and here's my new life. Exactly. Oh. New, new week, new you, new every, you know, mm. all, all the time. And uh, online dating started pitching myself as a writer, started sort of like frantically trying to catch up. Mm-hmm. And I kind of did, you know, I got this writing gig. I got, I got my foot in the door at a, at a publication and, um, you know, I started doing freelance writing and, and eventually started working at refinery and, uh, and I met a guy and I had sex finally in my late twenties, mm-hmm. you know, for the yeah. first time. And then I met the guy who is my boyfriend now. Mm-hmm. And that was like a real relationship. And I think the fact that my life suddenly felt so much more real, I realized something inside of me was just like, I can't, I mean, I can't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't maintain, you know, I couldn't count Weight Watchers points and go out to dinner with my boyfriend. And if it was like a choice between that and that for the first time in my life, it was like, I'm going to go to dinner with my boyfriend, Mm -hmm. you know, and I couldn't maintain, you know, a psycho twice a day workout thing. And, right. and maintain my relationship and do my job. And I really wanted to do my job because for the first time I was really enjoying it. I was like, it felt like my career. Mm-hmm. So I started to gain weight again. And I was like, as I wrote in the book, I got, I got to this point where I was on a press trip and I was like doing this workout where I was jogging through the woods and I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't keep going. And the trainer was kind of like disappointed in me. And I was like, I, I mean, I'm done. I'm just so done. <laughs> and for the first time, it felt different than when I was like done with a diet. Like when you're done with a diet, it's like you start sort of, you know, cheating here and there and you're like, oh, okay, I'll start fresh on Monday or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I'll make it, I'll do it right then. This was more like I'm done on a bigger level. And mm-hmm. it really felt like every single thing I had been doing my whole life um, just didn't fit in, in the life I was leading and the life I wanted to lead. So I, I couldn't do it anymore. I'd stumbled across intuitive eating a couple times before that. And I thought, oh, you know, that's, you know, lovely. That's mm-hmm. very, how, how nice, but you know, not now, <laughs> not for me. Right. you know, later I'll, I'll, t- I'll totally do that when I'm thin. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I'll effortlessly maintain my weight loss. <laughs> exactly. No, it's fine. I got to get thin and yeah. then I can eat like a normal person. Right. I mean, it's ridiculous, but yeah. Oh. But it also is just like, oh, that sounds kind of fake, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think it really stuck in my mind because I think part of me recognized, you know, that they didn't make promises mm-hmm. and it wasn't, it was, it was, you know, like I think of so many people, so many dieters who discover that book and that process, uh, it feels like everything you have always needed to hear but never been ready to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in that moment, I thought, okay, I'm going to do it. And um, I knew I needed help. And I was ready to ask for it, even though I don't like to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd much rather just do it alone at home by myself, but I can't do that. So I knew I needed help. And I knew I needed help with exercise too, because like I had this totally messed up relationship to exercise like so many people do. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to really actually be able to do it in a consistent way. And I wanted to feel like maybe I could enjoy it. I didn't really believe I would, mm-hmm. but I was like, you know, willing to be proven wrong, you know? Right. right. <laughs> yeah. So something that you would enjoy rather than just feel like, oh, this is to 
lose burn weight. Calories. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I was I was like, and that's still a very big challenge, by the way. Like to to un yeah, you know, the gym or the specific machine or something with mm-hmm. calorie burn, especially when the machines are like counting down calories that you know are fake. Right. Exactly. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to get that out of your mind. I know. I know. It's. I feel like exercise is almost the last frontier for a lot of people. It's like because it's in a way it's sort of more insidious because your whole life you hear like do this to get toned that do that to huh? burn this many calories and like mm-hmm. you know even more so than food in some ways it's it's just like that's what the purpose of exercise is in mm-hmm. our society. I know. Yeah. And it's it's nuts. It's nuts because it's like, I mean, when you actually do it, when you actually break through that barrier and you have that experience of, oh my God, this does feel good. Mm-hmm. This makes my body feel good and my brain feel good. And I feel like I had a better day today. When you actually have that experience, you're like, I really get it. It's like yeah. seen on the other side of something. Totally. And again, hard to hang on to, but really, really great when you can mm-hmm. do that consistently for sure. Totally. Yeah. It kind of <laughs> slips in and out. I feel like I've had moments where I'm so coming to it for pure reasons and then, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I wonder how I look right now. Like, wonder what this is doing for my arm. I'm like, ah, what? Stop. Oh, my God. I know. I know. I know. And I then, know. yeah, and people think that they're being encouraging, of course, by saying, oh, you know, mm-hmm. you look like this or if you do this, it's going to, you know, help you with that. And right. I don't want to be like, I guess I don't want to come off as some jerk who's like, that's not why I'm doing this, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But at the same time, I don't want to just like, I don't know. I don't want to bite down too hard on that compliment. I want to yeah. let it let it fly by. I mean, it's people being nice is, is fine. I think, mm-hmm. man, maybe compliments is the last frontier. I'm still not good yeah. at that. <laughs> oh, that's a really good point. Yeah. Because <laughs> like when you get a compliment, do you does it take you back to that place of like, ooh, yeah, like mm-hmm, I should mm-hmm. do this more or whatever? Mm-hmm. It's really tough. It's really tough. And it makes me look at myself more and it makes me look at, you know, look at myself comparatively. Mm-hmm. And that's just like it's not a good cycle. No, it's really not. <laughs> no. Ugh. I was just talking to someone earlier today who said – I forget who the quote is from, but it was like – a man walks around accompanied by, I forget what it was. It was like a woman walks around accompanied by the image of herself. Mm-hmm. And like, she, you know, you could be like mourning at a funeral and the image of yourself is sitting next to you. You could be, you know, giving birth and the image of yourself is sitting next to you. Like all these major mm. things that happen in our lives, mm. you know, the image of like, your body image is so present at all times as a woman mm, in our society. And I just true. was like, oh, I was very floored by that when she said it because it, it's so true. Like even having done all the work that I've done, I feel like sometimes I'm seeing myself from the outside, you know, like, but not yeah. in that Buddhisty way of like, you know, noticing what's happening, more like judging what's happening. And, oh, yeah. Definitely not in the Buddhist way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're you're absolutely right. And I don't know, I honestly don't know exactly where that comes from. I mean, I certainly remember having a very intense relationship with mirrors growing up and, and sort of making myself look more disgusting in front of them in my mind. I had this mirror that I thought, um, <laughs> I hung it on the wall because I thought I was going to be like a vanity table and I would have like a little you know, I, I'd get a little poof to sit on or, a oh, yeah. or something. And I would just like brush my hair a hundred times before bed. Like I <laughs> saw in a movie once maybe. Right. But 
I never ended up getting like the chair. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just this mirror ha- hung at like abdomen, oh, abdomen no. height. <laughs> and I would just, I would make myself jump up and down in front of it and then do it and then stand it a different way and jump up and down in front of it. And it was just like creating this, making this freak show of myself for my own mm-hmm. sort of horrified, I guess, not amusement. It was a ritual really, but like, yeah, ugh. For, yeah, for self-judgment basically for to like. But I started doing something recently. I was having a really tough time with body image. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, what happened was I was, I was writing the book and, you know, writing is not, <laughs> writing is not good cardio. As uh-uh. I said. <laughs> and it's, it's stressful. And I, mm-hmm. I gained weight when I was writing the book and I was like, this sucks. Mm, yeah. Um, and it's really uncomfortable, but it was also, un- it was uncomfortable for a lot of reasons. Number one, it doesn't feel good to gain weight, like in a, like a pretty, not super quick period of time, but a, a pretty short period of time. Mm-hmm. But I was also gaining weight because I was like necessarily sedentary, right? you know, and it was, it, it sucked. And I hated feeling that way physically and, and emotionally. And then I came out of it and uh, I went on a trip to Italy this summer and I was at the end of the summer after I'd done like a bunch of editing and I'd been just sort of inside for the last year mm. and I felt really, really bad about my body and and we're eating all this like hardcore Italian food and mm-hmm. I made myself every time we walked past a plate glass window, I made myself look at myself mm-hmm. in there. But in a way, I, I made myself say in my head, I made myself say I love you. I, I love you. It's all right. Or I, I love you. I know. You know what I mean? And I had mm. to really get to a place where, because I didn't want to say like, I'm not okay with where I'm at right now. But I was like, no, I think I got to say it. I'm not, I'm not comfortable. I don't mm. like the way I look. And I really don't like the way I feel most of all right now. I feel like my body's really been there for me in this process and, and hung in there with me. But I haven't been able to sort of support it very mm. much. And I'm glad to have been able to get back to that. But it was really important to me in that time to decide to accept my body, even when I didn't, I really, I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. So that's what that was about, was just making myself look in the mirror and, and say something kind and affirming to myself. That's so amazing. (laughs) Really uncomfortable, but. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I've done those exercises too, and it's so awkward, but it's like really, really liberating in a way too to be able to like just notice it and accept it again and again. Yeah, it's liberating too to like get over. You eventually do get over yourself in that Mm -hmm. way. Whatever. I'm just like telling myself in the mirror, it's fine. It's like, why am I so being such a weirdo about this? (laughs) It's unnatural, but it feels good to get to like break past that barrier of weirdness as well. Overall, I'd say, you know, the, the affirmations are, are a good thing to do if you yeah. can, for sure. Did you feel like they were easier to do further in your journey or like, was it really weird to do affirmations in the beginning? Mm, I didn't do them so much in the beginning. I've done them just at different, at different sort of junctures when mm-hmm. I felt like I needed some sort of anchor because in the beginning of my intuitive eating journey, it was just like, you know, the rush of discovery and I was thinking about it a lot and I was really mm-hmm. sort of sorting sorting everything out. So it was sort of ever present in my mind. But I think it's really helpful when, you know, I sort of get lost a little bit or I feel like I need to to come back to to the roots of everything mm-hmm. of this whole process. And the way that I try and do affirmations is really by tracking my negative self-talk and, you know, identifying it mm-hmm. and addressing that specifically. Yes. With an affirmation. And that 
I still find very difficult because mm-hmm. it's no fun to <laughs> it's no fun to do. No. To wade into your own, you know, unhappiness or, you know, old uncomfortable patterns. It's one of those the only way out is through situations, I think. Yeah, because you can do all kinds of things to try to paper it over and cope with it, like distract yourself or whatever. But yeah, to really go in there and and get at the root of it is ultimately so much more helpful. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like if I had been going through that thing with my, you know, shitty body image and being like, I love my belly. Mm -hmm. If I had been doing one of those things, it would have been totally hollow. It would have been like. Yeah, it would have been um, a Band-Aid and I would have been able to say like, oh, I'm doing the affirmations. And mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, there's that. But it wouldn't it wouldn't have been helping me at all. Yeah. It really needs to get in there and like sort of look myself in the eye and be like, I see what's going on in there. And that's okay. And, you know, I'm still willing to love you. Yes. <laughs> oh, it's so great and so validating because like that's really what we all want is to be seen for who we really are with – all these supposedly shameful things and loved anyway. So like if you are telling yourself something the opposite, it's like telling yourself you're not being seen or you're you're denying what's really there. And so yeah. then whatever love you provide yourself from that place like rings hollow because it's not really it's yeah. not really seeing you for who you are. So when you're like I see you and I love you, it's like yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. I mean like it. I feel really I'm like I'm like teary just thinking about Me it. Too. I think. <laughs> there's I think there's there's probably part of we probably need to do that for ourselves more then. That's probably what teariness is, yeah, right? Yeah. Totally. Oof. I know. It's crazy. I mean, that's like what we want from relationships. It's, mm-hmm. it's like we're always just seeking that out. And I love that that's something that really worked for you because I'm always saying that to clients and I feel like that's something my therapist gave me in my recovery that was so helpful was like really identifying this negative self-talk and like figuring out what do I really need? Like what can I say to myself right now that's going to heal that pain that I'm causing myself? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, nobody wants to no, – I mean I'm like, uh, of course, I would love you to just like write it down for me like magic words. <laughs> right. You know, but the only words that are actually magic are the ones that you sort of dig out of that deep, dark place Mm -hmm. inside you. That's that's hurting. And nobody wants to go there. No, no, it's not. It's not comfortable. No, but, you know, you say that thing about relationships. And I mean, I've heard from a lot of women I've talked to about this, that one thing that's been really helpful for them is being in a relationship with a partner who is incredibly accepting mm-hmm. and not just incredibly accepting, but like actively accepting and actively loving of what they don't like about themselves. Right. And I'm like, that's great. But w- when I got together with with my boyfriend and he would you know, just get excited about my body and want to want to be near it all the time and and adore it in, you know, really, really, uh, you know, romantic ways, but not Mm -hmm. false at all. Like he'd just be genuinely like, "Mm, just love to put my arms around you in your middle. I like to like Mm -hmm. give you a big hug and stuff like that. Or I just, I, I, he loves to, he just loves to be near my body. And I felt like incredibly uncomfortable and really almost angry at him for it. And I was just like, what is, is wrong with you? And I tried to like, 
for a while I was like, oh, so that's cool. So um, so you have like a fetish and I am like mm. your, your fetish thing. And he was like, why do you have to? I mean, I was like, yeah, so you must, you know, I was like really trying to push him on it and be yeah. like, put him in and pigeonhole him being like, yeah, I'm this fetish object for you. And you have some mm. sort of, you know, you know, that's, that's your thing. And he's like, it's not my thing. Mm-hmm. Why do you have to try and make it was, it was, it was hurtful really of me to do that to him. And he just didn't go along with my bullshit in mm. that way. It's not that he like was defensive or, or pushing back. He was he was surprised and 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 he didn't get it, you know? Because yeah. he's not somebody who's grappled with with this. So um he didn't get it. And and that's, you know, somebody who doesn't get it is both helpful and difficult <laughs> in different times, you know? Totally. Yeah. Oh, completely. That's such a lovely thing to share, you know, too, that like your experience of your own body was probably very challenged with his love of it, but ultimately pushed you or helped you to grow to love it, your own body more, maybe. For sure. For sure. I mean, it definitely made me realize like I have got to get okay with myself in one way or another. I have to get okay. I have to get better somehow because that's what you do, right? When Mm you are in you know, when you have a healthy relationship or you have, uh, you know, a job that you want to show up for, you want to show up for these things in your life that you're excited for and you can't do it if you're yeah. far too occupied with all this garbage. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It completely clouds it if you're not liking something about yourself so deeply. Oh my God. I mean, I, I think I wrote this in the book, but I said like, uh, it turns out that you can, love somebody else before you love yourself, but it's really mm. uncomfortable for both of you. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. is. Oh, totally. It's not It's just not sustainable. So even, mm-hmm. you know, even though it still is difficult for me sometimes and, you know, I don't know what to do about, I don't know how to get more comfortable with like being like spooned in bed and having him put his hand on my stomach. I mean, yeah. that's, that's so tough, yeah. but I make the decision to to allow it and to to push myself as far as I'm comfortable or a little a little further than I am comfortable because I want to be okay with being touched and being loved, you know, by this person. I don't want to miss out on on any little bit of that. Yeah. God, that is so powerful and like just very very fortunate and lovely that you stumbled on someone so great. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. (laughs) It's really cool. I mean, it must have been that you were at least at a place where you felt good enough about yourself to choose someone healthy. You know, like, I think that was for me. And I know some people who've struggled with this kind of stuff. It's like if you I mean, maybe in a way, like isolating yourself from relationships that whole time kind of kept you from going down that other path of like being with people who would sort of reinforce the self-criticism. Yeah, probably. You're probably yeah. right. I mean, that's that's a good that's a healthy way to look at it. I mean, I certainly did struggle with this relationship with being with constant constant, you know, self-doubt because it mm-hmm. must be wrong because there's something wrong with me and pushing him away and really, you know, it was very it was a rocky road there and yeah. and I'm sure, you know, there will be rocky parts to come and I'm just so glad that he hung in there with me and that I hung in there with me, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's the biggest challenge of all, I think, is like hanging in there for yourself Ugh. and not just going back down the same road you'd always taken before of like, Ugh. like, fuck it, I'll do another diet. You know? I know. I know. Well, now I, you know, I write this fucking column. So yeah. It's not like- <laughs> 
<laughs> it keeps you honest, right? It's like, it totally does. Yeah. No, I mean, no, that's I'm being a little bit silly there because it's true. Like, I think I think that was maybe the I'm done. Like, I, I don't think there would be ever any mm-hmm. going back to me at this point. You can't really unring this particular bell. Right. Thank God. <laughs> no, I feel the same way. It's like you just – you can't put the genie back in the bottle, I've said. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I'm so glad for that. I know. Oh. Me too. Oh, that's another good thing to be grateful. Yeah. I know. It's always so helpful to be grateful. Like – yeah. Always okay. forget, but rumors are true. Yeah. Yes, I know. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so did you how did you kind of go through this journey then? You were I mean, you're writing the column. You had I think I read you had an intuitive eating coach as well. Yep. Um mm-hmm. during the process. And so that was a big part of, I'm sure, coming back into touch with your body and learning the principles of intuitive eating. Yeah. So, you know, I Googled mm-hmm. and I found a, an intuitive eating coach named Teresa Kinsella, who, mm-hmm. uh, you know, got back to me and totally understood and was down to be my eating coach. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I just couldn't have found somebody better. She was just like, she's no nonsense. She wasn't like, you know, I've been in therapy for basically my entire life. Mm-hmm. But I think that she was very different from therapy in that like she had a very tight focus. She yeah. was like touchy-feely. She kept things very neutral. Mm-hmm. And that was really important for me to have when I was trying to create, you know, that sense of food neutrality for mm-hmm. myself. And she not only taught me by by leading me, but but also by example, by reading my, you know, I would do these these food journals where I'd write, you know, about hunger and fullness mm-hmm. and judgments about the food and everything like that. And she would look at it and and we'd look through it together and I'd be like panicked over whether or not she was going to punish me for, you know, eating two starches in a meal mm-hmm. or something like that. And she was really just always neutral, always very straight with me, you know, always looked me in the eye, never hedged her bets and 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 never pulled any punches. And I felt, you know, I was able to sort of take my cues on creating uh, neutrality and safety for myself from her. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I got a, I got a trainer too, to work mm-hmm. with me at That's the gym. Right. And it wasn't like a, you know, special, like a, like a body positivity trainer or something mm-hmm. like that a trainer, but she, uh, you know, what I came to realize when I was at the gym was like working with her, it wasn't like with intuitive eating where I had to like, you know, explore and do meals. I had to have mm-hmm. somebody there who was like, here's a whole other side of exercise that you have not been doing. And here's how you can physically do it. And I'm mm-hmm. going to stand here with a stopwatch and count to a minute because you can do that. In that way, she she helped me realize what I was capable of physically mm. and mentally. And she helped me sort of break that gym class mentality of myself because in her own way, she was very neutral. And it was just that she didn't, you know, she knew I wasn't in there for, for weight loss, certainly. She did she did weigh me, actually, but I didn't, I never looked at the numbers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she stood there with me and, and guided me into a new relationship with fitness by basically showing me that I was capable, much more capable than I thought. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so you hadn't really thought you could rise to a challenge before. Yeah. I mean, I had that, you know, that gym class mentality of, Mm -hmm. of, well, I'm the, you know, I'm the fat kid in gym class. I'm, you know, I'm the one who did, you know, couldn't do as many push-ups on the, you know, or pull-ups on the presidential fitness test. So that's who I am. Mm -hmm. You know, had all these judgments about different kinds of exercising, like, well, I hate running. It makes Mm -hmm. me angry and I hate it. 
And she'd be like, okay, so we're going to do some power incline walking. And eventually she'd start sneaking in like to see like, here, okay, why don't you try like uh, 30 seconds of, uh, of jogging at this? And I'd be like, mm-hmm. but I hate that. And, you know, it was the same thing with food. It's like, why, why you hate it? How maybe you hate it because it's really hard or mm-hmm. maybe because you don't like the way it makes your body feel or makes your boobs bounce or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. But like, it was really good to know that I could do it and that uh, to see, to see, I was like, I am jogging, I am doing it. And mm-hmm. I'm sort of listening to Beyonce and kind of enjoying it. Can I tell somebody that? Can I tell <laughs> doing this right now? Right. I'm, I know it can't be true. I know I must be making that up somehow, mm-hmm. but yeah. So there was, you had this like identity of yourself as somebody who hated to run. So oh, yeah. I mean, breaking those judgments about certain kind of exercises and about yourself in that way mm-hmm. is, um, you know, like we said, it's it's a whole challenge unto itself. And so I think the thing, the only thing I really try to maintain, and I don't work with my eating coach or a trainer anymore. I do it all on, on my own, but I, I try to just remember that it's still a good meal, even if I enjoyed it. It's still yeah. a good out even if I enjoyed it, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and arguably better. Like exactly, exactly, and like to really like when it comes to things like exercise, to be like, I, you know, I walked like six miles today because I went apple picking with my friends. Mm-hmm. Equals exercise. Yeah. Oh, exactly. <laughs> and it just, was just a fun time out. Like it wasn't. It wasn't hard. I know. Yeah. I know. And that's that's still astonishing to me. So yeah. yeah. Still trying to get my head around that. But on the along the way, you know, I was I was sharing all this in the column, all my sort of like lessons learned. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting and it's interesting to look back and see how I have evolved and how I have, you know, things I've forgotten. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I should maybe start doing that practice again from two years ago. Or right, right. So it's been two years that you've been writing it? Just about, yeah. But it's interesting to see how like my language has evolved and like my my certainly my goals. I think mm-hmm. I even in my first column I mentioned like weight loss possibly mm-hmm. or something like that. I think I assumed that I would that yeah, sure, that weight loss was that this was another approach to weight loss, sort of in a roundabout way. Right. Like that it know. wasn't the main goal, but it would happen anyway along the way. Exactly, exactly. And the thing that, you know, I'm sure this isn't unusual, but the thing that I really had a hard time letting go of, you know, because I was I was having a hard time sort of trusting the process. Mm-hmm. And my eating coach would say to me, like, what do you need? What do you what do you need to trust this process? And I would say to lose weight by doing it. Mm-hmm. She's like, that's the thing. You, if you don't let go of it, it's going to take a lot longer mm-hmm. to really get this ingrained, you know? So again, that was one of those things where I had to, even though I couldn't, it what didn't feel instinctual, it didn't, it didn't feel like what I wanted. I had to sort of make the leap. I had to decide to not be focused on weight, mm-hmm. you know? I know that's a huge choice and a huge like thing to let go of. I mean, you'd spent your whole life fighting I, against your weight. So yeah, like, like a lot to give up, but, but yeah, I think it, it is so true that it doesn't work. Intuitive eating is predicated on not caring about the outcome really, right? It's like all Oof. about how you feel and learning to really honor your body and where it wants to be. And I feel like there's so much, it's great that you stumbled on her as an intuitive eating coach. Cause I know there's, you know, other intuitive eating type programs out there that promise weight loss still. And yeah. that's scary to me. It's like, that's yeah. not what the original practice is about. I know. I know. I, I think that's really, that, that bums me out when I hear that. Yeah. I'm glad that I found her too, for sure. Yeah. yeah. 
No, and totally. I'm, I mean, I, it, it sort of empowered me also to take weight off the table in other situations. I went, mm. you know, I go to the doctor and I think, and last year I like, I think I asked him, could I not, could I not be weighed? And he was like, yeah, of course not. Why? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, how much you, you know, I'm much more interested in how much that, you know, your exercise routine and, and, you know, you're getting enough sleep and, you know, what's going on in your life and stuff like that. Wow. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. But I was like, it never occurred to me. I was like, I can ask. And right. then I went to like, uh, you know, the gynecologist a couple months ago and she didn't even, she goes to those, oh, do you do scales? And I was like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's awesome. But it made me, you know, it made me realize, like, you know, maybe a, a little. Certainly, people are are making, you know, weight an issue all over the place. Sure, yeah. But maybe if I'm not bringing it so much, maybe it's 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 not as much of an issue as I once thought it was in right. every single scenario. You know, that's a great point. That yeah. like, yeah, you're not. It's you know, people who are more receptive or neutral about it will be that way if you bring that to the table. But if you bring some panic about it, then they're going to be like, oh, well, let's figure out this weight thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's amazing. It's so cool that you stumbled on some kind of stealth health at every size doctors too, maybe. I know. And these were my doctors, you know, before. And yeah. and it's not like I, you know, sort of sought them out for any particular reason other than they took my insurance. Mm-hmm. So that makes me think like, you know, Maybe that's the case more often than we think. Maybe that's an optimistic take because I know that certainly there are there are doctors who are, you know, really, really not cool with yeah. the thing and the health at every size and stuff like that. But I wonder if that is less true than it used to be, maybe a little tiny bit. I would be so curious to know, yeah. I want to see some statistics because yeah, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> I know. I feel like too in places like New York, maybe it's a little more yeah. common to find you know people who are in the know about that stuff and probably but, yeah. yeah. No, it's it's great. I mean, I love that there are resources out there for people to find health at every size doctors too. But then like people who won't even you know, I think it's it's true probably of anything like people don't even know a certain movement exists or that you know anything that something is a thing, but they're like practicing it anyway. So mm-hmm. that's, that's mm-hmm. kind of who you found. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, tell us about the book and kind of like, I'm curious about the process of of writing it and what came up for you as you were sort of synthesizing this whole journey f- into a book. Oh, well, golly. <laughs> um, you know, the column, as I said, the anti-diet project is really about the lessons I learned along the way that I really wanted to share with mm-hmm. with readers. And I had this opportunity to write a memoir and I thought I have to tell, you know, the other side of the story, which is not that I wasn't like I was concealing things in the column. It was just that that wasn't, you know, my personal blog right. where I was like writing my life story. I wanted to share the journey sort of into dieting and disordered eating and out of it. I wanted to put that frame that framework um, around it because, you know, obviously food and the way you eat is not just about food and the way you eat, you know, it's about all the other things that have influenced the way you eat and move and treat your body. And there were some pretty big things in in my life, certainly, mm-hmm. that had an impact on that. And uh, I have learned in writing more and more first person stuff that it is, you know, a strength of mine, but also it's incredibly rewarding and um, mm-hmm. I, it helps me. It helps me a lot. And certainly the more I'm, I'm willing to, to reveal, the more I learn 
basically. Mm-hmm. And so there's, I mean, there's a, there's a selfishness there, although I think that certainly some of the things that I have written have been helpful to other people. Yeah. I mean, that's the feedback I get. And I'm sure some of it right. has not resonated with other people. And that's, you know, God, we all have our own jams. Sure. Yes. <laughs> um, but the people I, who really yeah. resonate with it will find it. So. Exactly. So yeah. I wanted to tell the bigger story. Um, mm-hmm. And certainly it's not like my whole life story, but it is my memoir through the lens of my relationship to food and, and my body. And I was writing it. I started writing it, I think, about four, five, or six months after I started uh, the process of intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. So I was very much in, like, the thick of it as I was writing the book. The funny thing about this memoir is it's like I always thought that memoirs were something you wrote, like, 20 years later. Right. right? <laughs> With all this hindsight and mm-hmm. knowledge having gone through, you know, talked about it in therapy for a really long time. Right. And it's like, I'm writing about this thing that happened a week ago. Yeah. And trying to, you know, get my get my head around it. So there is an immediacy there. Mm-hmm. And I got to the end of it. And in the editing process, I realized, like, this is a really, this is a really powerful snapshot of this moment in my life. Yeah. You know, this first year of of doing this. And the fact that doing this, like doing this new chapter in my life, really involves digging into the old chapters in a way that I, for all my work in therapy, had never done quite on this level. Mm. So again, you know, only only way out is through. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so cool. I'm actually in the process of writing a proposal for my own memoir. So yes! yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that's so exciting. Yeah, thank you. It's so scary oh. and crazy, but it's like, it's great and... Yeah. I know All it the is feelings. Crazy. <laughs> I know it doesn't feel like real when you write a book. You're like, but I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. This is, it's. I did. I, I'm actually writing a book. Like it took me until like just a couple months ago to be like, I wrote a book. It yeah. is a put together, and it still it counts. You it know, this. Yeah, I am so excited. I pre-ordered it. Like. <laughs> <laughs> totally into it. That's oh, so I'm so glad. Oh my God. I'm so, I'm well, I obviously want to hear more about your proposal, but we can, we can do that yeah, another time. Definitely. We can do that off mic, but <laughs> yeah, I know it's like, yeah, a lot of feelings, but a lot of good stuff. Oh my God. Get ready for the feelings. Yeah. It's crazy. Like delving back into this stuff, but then also the artistic process of kind of being like, am I good enough to write. And then I'm using this book actually called The Art of the Book Proposal, which is oh. like really freaking helpful. And oh. the guy who yeah. wrote it is a psychologist and creativity coach. It was um, just like literally this book just was on my shelf for years because a friend had it and she was like, oh, you want to write a book at some point right here, take this mm-hmm. and just been sitting there. So I picked it up and and have been going through it. And it's very helpful in just reminding you like, these are normal feelings. Every author has them like that means you're doing something right. So I want to buy that right now, yeah. even though my book is about to come out. I would love somebody to tell me that. It's, uh, it's so helpful. I bet it would be really helpful in the like promotion process too, just to sort of give you a sense of like, yeah, I did it right. I like all these things I'm feeling are just because I've done something big and it's, you know. Yeah, it's very uncomfortable at times and it takes you back in a way that I don't think you can sort of go back in any other way mm-hmm. because you have to not only find the story and find the feelings, but you have to make it, you have to tell the story. Yeah. And ugh, it's <sighs> just, you know, it's incredibly cathartic and it feels so good to just be telling the truth. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, okay, um, I did it. Now it's out. It's it's real. Right. It's, you know, 
Right. That's another genie that is never going back in the bottle. Yeah, exactly. And like, yeah, I mean, I'm totally cool with all these strangers reading it. Mm -hmm. It's much more easy to do that. But like, I'm about to go up dinner with my grandfather and I... (laughs) <laughs> I'm like I'm hanging out with my grandfather a lot right now for various oh. reasons but one of them is like I it's coming out in like three and a half weeks mm-hmm. and then he's gonna read it and then I'm never gonna be able to look at him again no oh. <laughs> I know that's like ridiculous but it's really crazy to think about I know reading about these things Ooh. no I totally feel that too I'm like I could handle anyone I just from like the little parts I've written so far I'm like this is fine but the people it's about I feel so much shame about like ever having them read it yeah so yeah it's it's a double-edged sword but I'm sure it's also I mean you are you like talking with him about it or are you like no just waiting until the the shit drops no no he's not you know he's not touchy-feely in that way like a 1950s harvard lawyer kind of guy we're gonna go like have cocktails at the harvard club tonight that's cool (laughs) great but yeah no i mean we can talk about musical theater we could talk about Mm -hmm. opera and um we can talk about hitchcock movies but i don't think we can talk about disordered eating or uh god sex oh right High school. Oh my god. Oh, I know. Fine. It's gonna be fine. This is like all. I know this is all like my ego panicking and stuff right now, and it's yeah. gonna be okay. I, I talked to one more. I just want to add. I talked to Cheryl Strayed in the middle of writing my first draft. Uh huh. Did an interview with her, and I I was really panicking about the family stuff to put in there. Mm-hmm. And I hope this will be helpful for you because yeah. I was really on the edge. My my editors were saying like, okay, this is something where you either have to go further or you have to cut out entirely Mm. because you're kind of hedging right now. And I was talking to her about it and about this sort of uh, risky business when you're writing a, when you're writing a memoir. And, um, you know, she told me about like the things that she had cut more and more out of and like deciding whether or not it's worth it to keep these things in. But in the end, she was just like, and you know, bottom line is like in five years, ask yourself like in five years is going to be okay. And Mm. the answer is, Probably, yeah. In five years, everything's going to be okay. Oh, that's a great way to frame it. Yeah. That's really helpful. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, thank you. Throw the five-year rule at it. Yeah, exactly. That's a great call. I mean, the memoir lasts forever. People can discover it, you know, long after you're gone even. So, like, that's, you know, it's worth putting that information out there if everything's going to be okay in your personal life, like, in five years. So. Yeah, I can I can ride out the discomfort with my grandfather? For yeah, five years. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> oh, well, so okay, let's talk logistics about the book then. Tell sure. us like where people can find it and when oh. it's out and all that good stuff. Yeah, the book is called Big Girl, and the subtitle is How I Gave Up Dieting and Got a Life. I love and- it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and it is available for pre-order now. You can get it. Basically, anywhere that you would get a book on, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Indigo, uh, all these, all those book retailers. And it's coming out on January 5th. If you want, all those easy-peasy pre-order links are on my website, kelseymiller.com. And, you know, God, it's real. Yeah, <laughs> it's totally real. <laughs> well, thank you so I much for... It's a real book. <laughs> I know, I know, exactly. I'm excited. I think we're going to release this on the day it comes out, actually. So because it's a Tuesday and I release them on Tuesdays. So I think it'll be perfect timing. And I love this show so much. I mean, for lack of a better word, I have been binging on it so hard. Thank you. I am so psyched to be on here. It is like it's been 
I think I found your podcast at the time when I needed to find it. Mm, Very good for that. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me. That's really cool. I mean it. And thank you for having me on so much. Yeah, thank you. So that's our show. Thanks again so much to our guest for being here and to you guys for listening. We'll be back again in two weeks with another brand new episode. So be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Android or whatever your favorite podcast app is if you haven't done so already. Meanwhile, I'd love to stay in touch with you online. The best way is by email. So if you join my email VIP list, you'll get exclusive tips about intuitive eating and body positivity and updates about all my work as well as new episodes of the podcast. So if you go to christyharrison.com slash email, you can sign up there. That's christyharrison.com slash email. And I would love to have you guys all on my VIP list. And then you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Food Psych on Facebook and Food Psych Pod on Twitter. And then I am also on Instagram, just me this time. I don't have a separate account for the podcast, but I'm on Instagram at Christy Harrison. And the first I is a one. The music you're hearing behind me now is by a band called AWOL, and the track is called Food, used under the Creative Commons license. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, stay psyched. Stupid or scared, no work in the kitchen now. Who put you there in that perfect position?